Steve Stein, and you're listening to Inside Asia. Take a quick poll among your friends and associates on what they consider to be one of the greatest challenges of our day, and increasingly liberals and conservatives alike will say climate change. The subject has had its share of detractors and political naysayers, but with the passage of time, evidence mounts that humans, not Mother Nature, are the undeniable chief culprits of this pending disaster. Acknowledging the crisis is one thing, actually doing something about it is another. Where to begin? My guest this week, Assad Razouk, says there are lots of moving parts in this climate change puzzle, but holding corporations accountable could prove a catalyst. Assad has a vantage point on the subject. He's group chief executive and co-founder of Syndicatum Sustainable Resources, a Singapore-based clean energy investment group that buys, owns, and operates projects throughout India and Southeast Asia. From where he's sitting, Assad has learned a few things about government intransigence, corporate behavior, and public indifference. Rather than sit on what he knows, he's taken to social media to beat the drum in favor of environmental responsibility. Hardly a day passes when you won't find Assad peppering Twitter and LinkedIn with posts decrying our failed efforts to address the problem. In a bid to ramp up the banter, he's launched his own podcast, The Angry Clean Energy Guy. In each episode, he picks from any number of news stories that decry the failure of governments, corporations, and entrenched interests to address what he believes is the single greatest issue of our day. I kicked off our conversation by asking him what he hopes to accomplish by doing this. Well, as you know, during the day, I run a renewable energy business. We, you know, headquartered in Singapore and basically building renewable energy projects and then operating them. Uh, Now, when you do that in this part of the world, so Southeast Asia and India, you are acting, I think, directly against climate change, obviously, because you're trying to substitute clean fuel uh, for people's lifestyles to oil, gas and coal. And you do see suffering firsthand in many of the Indian states where we are in uh, Indonesia, in the Philippines, in Vietnam, in Thailand. I mean, you see climate change impacts firsthand in a way which is not obvious in the global north, Mm. right, where it's conceptual. And so um, what then makes you angry is the uh, knowledge that we've had a um, loud-ish climate movement for over 30 years. I I think we're approaching soon the 40th anniversary of the Rio Earth Summit. Mm. Um, This climate movement over 40 years has led to uh, a very large amount of political declarations and a very large amount of consulting papers and scientific papers and basically overwhelming literature Um, and, uh, you know, an innumerable number of conferences and what have you. However, during the very same 40 years, emissions have kept rising. Mm -hmm. And actually, the problem, arguably, is getting worse, not better. So the collective, the climate movement collective, has, I mean, if you want to call a spade a spade, accomplished nothing for 40 years. Actually, its accomplishments have been negative, right? And and that's what makes me angry. So you have to, you you look at that and you say, wait a second, what's going on, right? Well, isn't this the definition of insanity? And we know 
verifiably, 99% of the world is agreeing that it's a problem, that it's man-caused, that carbon emissions are a bad thing. Uh, governments have agreed, scientists agree, and yet somehow we are dashing towards our death. How do you how do you rationalize that? What do you do with that? Well, I mean, I have um, three issues with that. Okay, so so the first one is. I think we have to look at ourselves first and say, what has this climate movement done wrong for 40 years for its accomplishments to be negative accomplishments, mm. right? Yeah. I mean, we have to start there. Uh, then I think we have to learn lessons from other social movements. And then third, we have to act there's no use just talking about climate change all the time, yeah. right? And there's enough of that, in my view. These are three big asks. Is there any evidence that any of that is happening now or in recent years? Uh, not yet. Clearly not yet. We have not reached yet an inflection point on any uh, major driver of a clean energy future. So, for example electric cars haven't reached an inflection point. Electric buses, which are much more important than cars actually, haven't reached an inflection point. Renewable energy hasn't reached an inflection point. Um, uh, I don't know, storage hasn't reached an inflection point. You know, pollution is getting worse. Uh, there are, there is, I think you can show progress, but you can also show continuing rising emissions. And I just think that we have to uh, talk less, so to speak, and then act more. So, so it's an issue of motivation or lack thereof. And is it your position that if you raise uh, the, the sense of, of, of being uh, incensed by the situation, people will start to pay attention? Is that why, why the angry comes into the angry clean energy guy? No, no, Steve, no. The angry is just because I'm angry. <laughs> and you wouldn't know people. I'm looking at, at Assad right now. He's got this calm, big smile, you know, glowing eyes. He doesn't look angry, but he is. All right. So for the record. Yes, I'm very angry, actually, for the record. And I'm angry in a very fundamental way. I'm pissed off, you know, if, if you'd like, uh, kind of an alternative form of words. This is Inside Asia. I've been speaking with clean energy entrepreneur, investor, and commentator Asad Razouk. More in a moment. Inside Asia is supported in part by Black Marketing, the world's most recommended LinkedIn marketing agency, created and led by the world's most recommended LinkedIn marketing masterclass instructor, entrepreneur, and best-selling author, Chris J. Reed. Black Marketing is an award-winning, independent, boutique, B2B marketing consultancy that specializes in enabling you to achieve your business objectives through LinkedIn. Learn more at www.blackmarketing.com. This is Steve Stein. I'm speaking with Assad Razouk, Group Chief Executive and Co-Founder of Syndicatum Sustainable Resources, a global clean energy investment firm headquartered in Singapore. In the second part of the conversation, we hone in on a subgroup of corporate culprits. Focus our efforts on getting the public to wake up to the role some companies play in generating carbon output, and the problem is infinitely addressable. Back to our conversation. If you look at successful social movements, and I published 
uh, articles about this in the past few years. You need to look at successful ones and you need to learn from them. Okay, so just entertain me for two minutes. Mm -hmm. One of the most successful social movements in history is the global fight against AIDS, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So 30 years ago, people fighting uh, the, the lack of engagement by politicians and society against AIDS were ostracized, Mm. marginalized. Mm. Nobody was listening to them. Mm. And then if you fast forward till today or even 10 years ago, you can see that that problem or or challenge was addressed Mm. by and large. I mean, pretty effectively. Exactly. Society can always do better, but at least it was addressed. And the reason it was addressed is because the social movement around AIDS was very successful in implementing a very particular strategy which had five legs. They, uh, and this is researched, you know, in peer-reviewed papers and what have you. So, uh, uh, rule lesson number one was define a market to fight for. And the AIDS movement did that very effectively by focusing on big pharma Mm. from the very beginning, not any other issue around HIV. So in other words, if somebody's going to take care of this, it's going to be the pharmas. Yes. Pick one target. Mm. In the climate movement, okay, if you just read what's out there, we seem to be attacking all sorts of targets. Right? So we're attacking governments, we're attacking consumers, we're attacking people who eat meat, we're attacking frequent flyers, we're attacking big oil companies, we're attacking, i.e. the climate movement in some ways seems to be criticizing everything and everybody and therefore has ver- a very diffuse target. So there's no, there's no target of the anger or the disappointment, and by virtue of not having that, people can't focus their resources appropriately. Oh, the resources are completely unfocused. Oh, Just look at how much governments are spending. Um, well-meaning government, governments, northern European governments, German governments, the British government, on consultants around climate change. Mm. And look at what the consultants are then publishing and doing. I mean, they're trying to address everything from transport to agriculture to uh, entrenched interests to oil to gas to coal to aviation to this to that you know there is no way you can function with 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 without a defined market to fight for the second thing the aids people did very well can i ask you a question about this but first borrowing a page from the aids endeavor if it was pharma what is it for climate change oh big oil that's very easy. 90 companies, only 90, are responsible for two-thirds of all our emissions since the Industrial Revolution. And those 90 companies are in which industries? All of them are oil, gas, coal, and cement companies. All of them. So that's it. Focus on 90, country, 90 companies around the world. Target them for, for the production of or the processes used to produce or both and therefore anticipate a, 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 a positive result. Yeah, because, I mean, in some ways, I'm angry, obviously, you know, 80%, let's say, at the climate change problem and the fact that we're not dealing with it. But I'm also angry, say, 20%, at the climate movement itself. 
right? Because it has not learned from other social movements. It has not defined its target narrowly. And yes, 90 companies is a very narrow target, and then the fight becomes highly achievable. What are you asking them to do? We still need oil. We still need gas. Some would argue we still need coal, although that's debatable. Um, cement goes into building the buildings we need to live and operate and work. What are you actually asking for? I mean, I, I, if you were to set an expectation for these 90 companies, is it to actually change the way they do business? Is it to actually get out of the business they do? Help, help me understand that. Well, it's, it's actually not about the 90 companies. It's not. I thought about, you said it was about the ninety companies. It is about the ninety companies, but about it's not about getting them to change behavior. Okay, uh-huh. what we the, the thing that you have to remember about the ninety companies is that they have all the money in the world, right? Which means they have all the lobbying in the world, which means they are highly influential. Influential. So what you have to do is you have to affect change despite them, which is very hard to do. If they are, you know, spending upward of $200 million a year on lobbying, and that's only the top five, the top five oil companies spend $200 million a year making sure that we do nothing on climate change. Well, let, let's go back to AIDS example, though, because I like that. So if, 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 the, if the people who are trying to defeat AIDS said to the pharmaceuticals, I'm assuming we want you to put a percentage of your research into identifying a, a way of treating and managing AIDS. In other words, pharmaceutical treatments. That seems to be a very clear request coming from the, the AIDS movement. What would be the equivalent to, uh, into those 90 companies in the oil, gas, and cement business, what would be the directive to them from the climate change advocates? Okay, again, I don't... Okay, in the, in the fight against HIV, uh, so first you have to define a target, but then the second, the second uh, lesson is you have to focus your message on people. And in the HIV fight, the, the message was a very focused message which basically said medicine for HIV is a right to life. Got it. Clear so, message. Clear message. So, you, so, so effectively, if you're not developing these drugs and making them widely available, you are killing people. Yeah, you're violating human rights. Exactly. Mm. But in a very fundamental way, right? Mm-hmm. So similarly... In, in the climate change fight, we have to focus on people, not on animal or things, including the right to life, the right to subsistence, the right to health, all of which are being taken from us. Okay. Now, then uh, you have to, we know what we have to do. We have to achieve a drastic cut in emissions and we know how to do it. We have to basically spread electrification and renewables. But the messaging should be people are dying and suffering because of your activities. It's time to put a human face on it, to personify it, if you will. The problem or the disconnect may be that it's the northern hemisphere and the industrial con- companies or countries which are causing most of the problem are, are causing suffering in the undeveloped or southern hemisphere to such a degree where there's detachment, perhaps not the ability to associate or feel empathy because it's too far away. Is that possible? 
uh, I would rather we focus on corporations. Mm -hmm. So in addition to the 90 corporations that I mentioned are responsible for two-thirds of global emissions since the Industrial Revolution, a total of only 3,000 companies are causing $2 trillion of environmental damage per year through things like plastic and and, and oil and gas and coal and what have you, which they're not paying for and which is not regulated, right? Yeah. So if you actually figure out the levers to have the companies pay, you know, have polluters pay, mm. I should say, yeah. and the levers to stop the big oil and gas companies lobbying their way out of any action or effective action by government, you would have solved you would have solved the problem. So you focus on the largest culprits, the 90 companies. Yeah. You don't forget the other 3,000, because I mean, you know, at a very simple term, in a very simple way, if you taxed aviation fuel, you would get airlines and aircraft manufacturers to speed up transition. To electric aircraft. Yes, it might take us 20 years. And no, we don't want to ban oil, gas, and coal. I mean, that would be just stupid, right? But we want to cut its use to the absolute minimum possible that we can afford, which is about 20% yeah. of what we're doing at the moment yeah. through electrifications and renewables. So, so back to the messaging. All right, because I, 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 I hear you, and I know we're only point one of a point of a five point uh, you know comment that you wanted to make here, but I think it's really important what you're saying, I, and I want to get back to that. Therefore, what is the message? If for the AIDS, it was it was basically HIV treatment is a right to life, clear, direct, succinct. What would be the message in this era of climate change? Well. The message should be right to life, right to subsistence, and right to health. Okay. I mean, that's the equivalent message, right? And by the way, it's not dissimilar, right? I mean, this is killing us in a different way, but it's also killing us. Yeah. So, so it is a right to life argument made for all people. Some will be more affected than others in those early stages, like the Maldives, is, which is going to disappear because of rising oceans. I mean, that, that's a pretty clear and distinct uh, problem. Flooding, cyclones, other, other kind of environmental events which are going to damage uh, probably less developed areas. These are all reasonable. These are rights that people have, and they're being intruded upon by corporations and industries that are causing the damage and therefore causing loss of life. And there, are, there aren't that many solutions. So we have a target of 90 companies. And behind them, we have 3,000 companies, right? There aren't that many solutions. It's, it's, we have three arms of government. We have the executive. They can tax them, right? Yep. So it's very simple. Tax plastic, and it will go away. Yeah. Uh, you have the legislative branch, so we can legislate solutions as well. And then we have a very important third leg, which is the judiciary. Right. Mm. Meaning you can declare eventually some of what's being done as uh, illegal. For example, if we find in the courts that directors of companies are liable on a personal level or pension fund trustees are liable on a personal level, if they do not take the climate impact of what they're doing into account, 
okay, we're guaranteed to change behavior across the board. And what we need to achieve is not that complicated with the 90 companies either. We know we have to shrink them by about two-thirds, and we know we have to make them focus on petrochemicals, not oil, right? Uh, so the objective is, is not only clear, the path is also clear. Uh, but in terms of levers, either the capital markets, the money has, price of money has to change because of either judiciary action, judicial action, legislative action, or executive action. Well, this is the way we've managed and controlled industries throughout time, as long as as old as capitalism is. And so there's, there's nothing, um, you know, terrifying or shocking or, or disruptive, which are, which are, but, but it does feel to me that the, the fear or the pushback you're getting is because you are talking about taxes or tariffs. You are talking about punitive uh, results for any violation of the law, if a laws are established. And people would argue these are all going to be, these are all going to have the effect of slowing economies, slowing economic growth. And if you do that, there won't be money available in order to invest in the things we need to invest in. So it's this vicious cycle. What do you no, do? No, I would dispute that very strongly. I mean, first of all, uh, personally, I don't think you need necessarily taxation. I'm not even sure you need legislation. I think we already have everything that we have. And I think it would lead to a huge economic boom. We would create so many more jobs. And the solution actually is the judicial system. Mm. The simple act of finding company directors required, which makes perfect sense, to take environmental destruction into account, which unbelievable as it may sound, we don't today. Okay? So the simple act of finding them liable for that and insurance companies, for example, not insuring in their directors and officers insurance policies against that risk will change the cost of money of these companies and will send, all you need to do is you, you need to send the money to the right places and stop it going to the wrong places. That's all you need to do. What will then that lead is, imagine you are uh, uh, building an entire clean energy infrastructure across the world to electrify it. That's economic growth. That's jobs. That's opportunity. That's innovation. I mean, what's innovative about digging a hole in the ground to get a piece of black rock to then put it in a, a boiler? Nothing. It's actually negative innovation. Innovation is on the side of fighting climate change, and so are jobs. We create jobs seven times, at seven times the rate of the fossil fuel industry. There was a time and a place when the United States might have established that leadership. They might have, and in fact, it felt like for a while under the Obama administration, we, we could have been moving in that direction, uh, and then the era of Trump. Um, the, the torch has passed. China, uh, they've waited so long. And, and now they realize there are health risks, there might be political repercussions. So you hear a lot about innovation and clean tech in China. What are the possibilities or prospects that China could actually lead the world and, and make in setting these examples, driving innovation in the clean energy space, and therefore putting us back on the path towards lower carbon emissions? Is it, do you think that there's any prospect of that? Can I just uh, comment on the United States first? There's a fantastic quote by Churchill, which I am actually a firm believer of. Uh, he said, 
maybe, maybe it was Churchill, he said you can always count on the Americans to do the right thing after they have tried everything else. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. So I wouldn't give up on American ingenuity because frankly, I think, you know, with the world the way it is today, we are not going to solve global problems without that. Mm. So I don't think we can give up on that at all. And actually, I think it's coming. We might be three years off, five years off, you know, one presidential term, maybe two, but it's coming. Um, now, as, as, so that's, that's with the Americans. Now, of course, you need a global effort to, to do this. And there's really, I would say, three main other constituents that you can count on already. We know we can count on them. The Chinese are doing already more or less everything in their power to re-engineer China. Um, India, which is another rising power, power if you take a 30-year view, um, is also doing pretty much everything it can afford right, mm. to re-engineer its economy and ensure it's fueled with clean energy. And finally, let's not forget the European Union. The European Union is also on the right track, but all of them need Americans to, if not lead, then certainly provide their share, which is probably quite large, of the ingenuity and the financing and the getting it done um, uh, uh, attitude, which we simply can't do without. Mm. So, so where are you in this phase of watching these uh, the evolution of the climate change debate? Are you are you on the side of optimism or pessimism? Well, no, I'd much rather be optimistic, obviously, uh, and maybe off by a few years, than pessimistic and depressed because. Uh, I don't think that's the right attitude with this kind of problem. We have already all the solutions, Steve. We can afford them. They actually save us money, right? Mm -hmm. So solving the climate change problem saves us two to three trillion dollars per year. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. But the public doesn't know that. Governments aren't acting on it. And it's all because of the entrenched influence of 90 companies worldwide. I mean, they're everywhere, and they pull all the levers, and this has got to stop. And this is where the, the activities, behaviors of those corporations lobbying governments and getting a stay of decision or getting a postponement of decision is, is delaying any opportunity for us to move the needle and change the way we're actually identifying energy sources. So therefore, the, even though those corporations are primarily responsible, governments are failing to act appropriately in order to drive the agenda. Correct. Governments are failing to act appropriately because um, uh, uh, people who have the most access to them, shall we say, are those 90 companies, uh, whereas the rest of us, renewable energy, electric, storage, etc., are all environment, green, are all kind of small and poor at this time. Mm -hmm. But that's going to change. So breaking the cycle is really what we're trying to do here. We're trying to kind of insert ourselves, throw a wrench in the works, if you will, of the old, of the old guard, of the old uh, um, um, platforms in order to maybe even bring it to a screeching halt so that you can start to then inject 
new ways of doing things, new regulatory arrangements and paradigms, uh, new technologies, and and start to turn this thing around. It sounds to me like it really is a lot of inter integrated moving parts across private, public, and 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 uh, other sectors, and, and and finance, of course, in order to be the, the the fuel to this this massive new engine. So it does feel complicated, Assad. It feels complicated, and maybe again, that's why some people just say at the end of the day, it's too complicated. We should just live with what we have. It's completely not complicated. Mm. All you need is probably more extinction rebellion so that it stays at the forefront of the public thinking. Get the citizens out, right? Mm. I mean, ultimately, we do what the citizens says, say. Well, at least in, 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 in most countries. So more extension rebellion so that you have the bottom-up push and from a top down, uh, I would say our best bet is not the executive, it's not the legislative, it's the judicial system, and then that moving the capital markets. It's very simple, actually. All you need is, I don't know, five court cases that say it's the fiduciary duty of a director of a company to take environmental destruction of his own company into account. Otherwise, he is liable personally. Yeah. That's all it takes. Yeah. And in a parallel industry, it's watch interesting to watch the food industry. I mean, what happened recently with Monsanto, uh, where it was declared that basically one of their products ha was cancer-causing, and that started a bit of a domino effect. So now there's a, a lining up of, of clash-action suit possibilities against an organization which, whether you agree or not, um, it starts to set in motion this possibility of change. It, I guess we need one of those. We need a Monsanto moment within the energy sector in order to start to move the agenda forward. I think that's an excellent example. Mm. If you had a Monsanto moment in the oil and gas company, uh, uh, in the oil and gas space, what would happen is that the price of money for oil would go up, investments would go down, and that money would go elsewhere, mm. which is all we need. Mm. Okay. So all we have to do is just find that one organization that's susceptible, align the activists around it, expose some aspect of what's going on, and then start the process. And that's why I'm angry. It's so simple, right? But it's been 40 years, and we just can't seem to get there. And what we need is more anger and more action. <laughs> on that note, Assad, thank you so much. This is exactly what I hear. I'm mad. You've got me angry. Thank you for doing that. And thanks for spending time. Pleasure, Steve. Thank you. That was my conversation with Group Chief Executive and co-founder of Syndicatum Sustainable Resources, aka the Angry Clean Energy Guy. Assad makes a good central point that after 40 years of talking about the universal risks of climate change, nothing fundamental has changed. Governments have made carbon reduction pledges, multilateral condemnation of environmental abuse continues apace, but nothing all that fundamental has really changed. In fact, the bad news just keeps rolling in. If anything, scientists are now suggesting that we may have underestimated the potential consequences of climate change. The level of suffering in coming decades is bound to rise, they tell us. I don't really enjoy spreading bad news, and I oftentimes question the value of introducing emotion into a debate. We have the facts, right? That should be enough to get the right public response. But apparently not. At least when it comes to climate change, Assad says it's time for more anger and activism.
He points to other successful social movements and specifically references the AIDS epidemic. By focusing their vitriol on the pharmaceutical industry and claiming that HIV sufferers had a right to life, activists launched a well-coordinated line of attack, demanding a portion of R&D be spent on AIDS research. The public-private pressure created a groundswell of support and became a matter of civil and human rights. The result? Breakthroughs in HIV and AIDS research and the ability to manage HIV to ensure longer and more fruitful lives for those who suffer from it. What's missing in the climate change movement is the same level of focus. Everyone has their pet peeve. Some advocate for everyone to behave more sustainably by using less energy, recycling the garbage, buying less. Others say go after coal as the largest single contributor to carbon emissions. Still others say it's belching cows that we should worry about. Eat less meat, and over time the world will shift to more sustainable forms of agriculture. As they say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And this time, it's a hell of our own making. You've seen the fictional time-lapsed images of cities underwater, oceans depleted of fish, forests decimated. We're an image-prone populace. Fear has been a key motivator for change over the past several thousand years. Take religion, for instance. Implanting the fear of God for centuries did wonders with respect to shaping public and private behavior. But nothing, and I mean nothing, appears to have moved us to change our ways to avert climate disaster. Why? I, like Assad, remain mystified by this. And I, too, am feeling a wave of anger and wondering what, if anything, might be done to unify the fight against purveyors of carbon output. Just 90 companies are responsible for two-thirds of the world's carbon output. Surely, if there was a clarion call to action, a universal movement to hold these companies accountable would be the first step towards a brighter future. So I ask you this, what are you going to do about it? If environmental protection and the threat of climate change is a big concern for you, as it is for me, tune into some of our other Inside Asia episodes, including my conversation with Peter Kennedy on the future of water, Richard Beavers on saving coral reefs, and David Emmett on conservationist efforts in Southeast Asia. I also invite you to download this or any of our other 89 episodes. You can visit us at www.insideasiapodcast.com or subscribe by visiting iTunes or Stitcher. Search for Inside Asia, flick the subscribe button, and start listening. It's completely free, and we'd hate for you to miss out on future episodes. Until next time, this is Steve Stein saying, come in from the outside on Inside Asia. Inside Asia is supported in part by Black Marketing, the world's most recommended LinkedIn marketing agency, created and led by the world's most recommended LinkedIn marketing masterclass instructor, entrepreneur, and best-selling author, Chris J. Reed. Black Marketing is an award-winning, independent, boutique, B2B marketing consultancy that specializes in enabling you to achieve your business objectives through LinkedIn. Learn more at www.blackmarketing.com.